0: Hello and welcome to Growing Pains. Growing Pains is a podcast brought to you by Honey Kids Asia and it's our safe space to unravel and detangle the messy world of modern parenting. My name is Ange, I'm mum of two boys Xavier and Marcel and I'm joined by my co-host Sam and mum of one little boy called Byron today we are chatting with Ramita Anand. She is the founder of Elevate RA, an educational mentoring company dedicated to empowering young girls. And today we are talking to Ramita about how to raise our children. And note that I say children and not girls. How to raise our children to be feminists. Enjoy.
1: Thank you so much for having me and for that lovely introduction.
0: Now let's start with a little bit about you. Sure. So, how many children do you have, and how old are
1: they? I've got two children, uh, teens now almost. So, my daughter is fourteen, turning fifteen, and my son is eleven, turning twelve. And can you
2: tell us a little bit about um, what you've been doing in your company?
1: Sure. So, um. As you said, I am a mother first and foremost, and I think you learn a lot as a parent and as a mum. And in each stage of growth, you sort of want to develop new skills of being able to cope with this, the things that are the challenges that raising children brings. That, combined with the fact that I've had 15 years of teaching experience, has led me to find uh, to found the company Elevate RA, uh, which, as you said, is there to help empower young girls to be their best selves. I grew up in Vancouver. I studied science and became a teacher and as a trained teacher out there, moved to London uh, straight out of university. And since then I've lived and worked in New York, London, Singapore. And, you know, having this international experience is wonderful, but Ultimately, the challenges of raising kids seem remain the same wherever you are. So, um, having Elevate has been amazing and a nice way to reach lots and lots of families globally.
2: Um, so, we've invited you here today to talk a little bit about feminism and you know how to raise children to be feminist. So, I I guess we'll get started with the first question. Um, mm. How do you teach your children the concept of feminism?
1: Such a good question. I think starting with the origin of the word at its core is always the best way to start teaching anything about any concept. So getting to the definition of it. And I think historically, many of us have been a little bit frightened of the word feminism or feminist, um, because there might be images of very angry, scared, or very hostile women. um, And historically, the association of that word has really not been a positive one. And I don't think it's been fair because a lot of these women are punished by society for being forceful or pushy or loud. And I think subconsciously, even if we don't think it, we might all be a little bit afraid because we don't want to be seen by society in those terms or under that light. All it really, really means in every sense of the word is that you believe in women's rights, that you believe in that they should be equal to men's rights. And then if you believe in that, by definition, you are an advocate for other women and you are then an advocate for feminism. So if you break it to its simplest form, I think that's how children should uh, start to digest the word. Wait, how old are your children
2: again? And have you chatted to them about this?
1: Yeah, because I have one of each. So my daughter is 14 and my son is 11. I think one of the simplest ways of explaining feminism to them particularly is because uh, they're siblings and one is a boy and one is a girl. If I said to them that you are going to be allowed to do certain things solely based on the fact that you're a girl and you're only going to be doing something to my son, Ishan, because you're the, a boy, so you get to stay up later or you get to have extra game time because you're allowed and that's what a boy should do how would you feel? I would ask my daughter that question. And I think unfair comes up quite quickly. So if you can get them to apply it to their own life and see how it would impact their day-to-day life around access to things that everybody should be allowed to have equally, um, then they start to understand it quite quickly.
0: Mm. So obviously we Uh, you know, we understand where feminism has come from, you know, those that were the advocates for the cause, you know, a century ago, Mm. even, you know, four or five decades ago, it was a very different fight. And there's a lot that would argue that we are much closer (laughs) to equality now than we were even 10 years ago, you know, with Me Too and other movements that have. So how do we translate what it means to be a feminist from the kind of uh, more traditional uh, translation, which is gender equality. So what does that mean today? Mm. What does it mean to be a feminist today?
1: Yeah, it's a good point. And I think I have to agree with you. There is obviously huge amounts of improvement in that world. Um, And yes, equality is a great word, but I think it's important to reiterate the fact that equal doesn't necessarily mean the same. Mm. and reminding ourselves and our children of that is important. So having equal access to opportunities, whether you're a boy or a girl or a woman or a man, um, you don't have to be the same physically. You don't have to have exactly the same things to be able to have the same rights equally, if that makes sense. So are we there in in today's world yet? I think there is a lot of work to be done, uh, if I'm honest with you. I think, um, look... That There was that whole time where, you know, if you believed in anti-shaving and, you know, kill the patriarchy or whatever the slogans might have been, you're right. Like that might have been something that we think, okay, well, we've, we have moved on from those types of belief systems. But if if that's true to you now and you, that is who you are authentically, good for you. The point is choice. And I think what it means in the modern world today is proactively allowing your authentic self to show up every day with your own will with your own choice, not one that's been handed down to you through societal expectations or um, cultural expectations. And I think that is the thing that has changed uh, or needs to be changed in the modern world a little bit around thinking, because I still think because of what's happened in the past, there are people that think if you are a model and you show off certain parts of your body, then you can't be a feminist. Right. And I think Emily Radowski, I'm going to say that, hopefully, Radowski, yeah, that's right. She's a great example of somebody who uh, is a you know, powerful model out there doing lots of great things, but at the same time, exposing people and understanding that she wasn't treated the way she should have been treated uh, according to her choice and her will. Yeah, it's body. so
0: true. There's a lot of actually discussion at the moment about Emma Radatowski. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm going to get the name wrong. Yes, because she's called um, Emily, isn't it? Emily Radotowski. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yes, because of the fact that, you know, there are some feminists Mm. that argue that she is using, she's objectifying herself Mm. in a way that is putting feminism back. And then her kind of counter argument is, well, it's my body Mm. and it's my choice Mm. and I am not being taken advantage of because I'm in control of that. Mm. And it's really interesting to see the debate on both sides around whether or not you can promote yourself in a certain way Mm. or put yourself out there in a certain way and yeah, there is the kind of more traditional feminists that are saying, well, no, that's putting feminism back because yeah. you're uh, you're putting yourself out there, which is going to attract the male gaze in a certain yeah. way. And it's just, it's a very interesting kind of conversation, I think, because in my mind, neither side is wrong or right. I mm-hmm. think it's a conversation and it's yeah. just understanding that um, yeah, the, the different perspectives are not necessarily wrong. Yeah. It's just that there is, there's points on both sides that are positive and also that you can see could be taken in a negative way. And that's a great teaching point for children as well, isn't it? To show them that you
1: can have empathy for both sides, that you can have Absolutely. a way of teaching children that there are valid points being said or at least respect. The points on either end of this of this conversation—it's not an argument; it's a discussion. As long as the model in question is using that big word that you did at the beginning—consent um, mm. of of what's being shown on the runway or on music videos or wherever that she's being displayed—that it was given by her choice, then ultimately, I think we are at least allowing her feminist her feminist views to be uh, portrayed. I think, mm. yeah.
2: Mm. I know we've spoken about this at the beginning, but um, what would you say is the difference between teaching how to be a feminist to a boy versus a girl?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's so important. It's a big part of the puzzle that I think is needs addressing. I think for girls, right down to what we just said, it's about respect for themselves. It's about understanding their self-worth, understanding that they are. Do need to respect their own bodies, um, respect them for the, as people for who they are, and make sure that they know how to advocate for themselves. I think giving them that empowerment and that kind of belief in themselves is is the most important thing about teaching girls around concepts around feminism. For boys, I think it's what's really important is that you and I and you know we're three females today, and we can have this conversation. And maybe most of your listeners will be females as well, but. I don't know how we're going to have change in the world if we don't bring in the other half of the population, which Mm -hmm. is male, right? Mm -hmm. So nothing is going to actually happen. We can't see that change. We can't break that cycle until each party is privy to the conversation and they're all brought to the table because we can... And I think that the beauty of having conversations with other females is to give you that empowerment, to give you that boost, to build that community and feel like, yes, I've got other people in my corner and now I feel I can go out there and say this piece to the other half of the population, Mm. which are the boys. So you can't expect boys to understand if we don't teach it to them. We won't be able to break this historical gender divide if we don't actually actively bring them into these conversations and have these discussions with them present.
0: It's so true. I remember I read an article, I think it was in the the New York Times, and it was a mum of three boys talking about how it's actually more important to raise boys as feminists mm. than girls, because mm. as women and as young girls, you know, particularly when we're young girls, we believe we can do anything, mm. you know. Mm. And it's more the environment in which we educated and the media and, you know, the patriarchy yes. <laughs> that that then puts that doubt Mm. and potentially takes away opportunities for women. And so the article was kind of around the fact that, you know, if we need boys to be very cognizant of the disparity in genders and the disparity in pay and opportunity that still exists in the world Mm. um, and, you know, in the Western world is probably more equal in some ways than other parts of you know, mm-hmm. where it's uh, definitely more traditional still in, in the views around women and, and very backwards in, you know, mm-hmm. some countries still to this mm-hmm. day. So I guess it's something that I've had playing on my mind because I'm a mum of two boys and, of course, Sam's a mum of a little boy as well. Mm-hmm. So what can we do? How can we talk to our children about equality from the lens of they are all little boys and they're going to be men one day so mm-hmm. how can we talk to them about equality and help to grow their understanding of the disparity in gender
1: yeah I think you raised so many important points So, I'll speak to this this point that you raised just now is as a mum what can you do what is your role as a, as a where is your responsibility in this and how can you get them to show up as advocates for feminism um and I know that there's been certainly lots of things that people have been putting out there that used to say protect your daughters or, edu- you know, but lots of uh, female organizations have said, actually, that shouldn't be protect your daughters, it should be educate your sons. And yes. there is a lot around education, which is the main point of, of, of what we're talking about. Um. So I think it's really important to bring it down to their level, you know, because larger concepts when they're little and when they're Children about pay gap is hardly something that they're going to really understand, possibly. But giving them examples of two boys in their class, for example, or even if they're two brothers, you know, and giving them the idea that maybe one of you is is slightly physically weaker, should that mean that you shouldn't be accessed allowed access to computers in the classroom, or should that mean that you get less break time, or does that mean that you should be allowed to touch certain things at school because of the size you're at, you know? And see how they get that conversation going. See how they respond to that. I think more more often than not, you'll realise that they will say that doesn't make sense because they're actually much more um, in tune with the fairness when they're little. You know, they really do get why. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And it, it only when they get older do they start to really exhibit these things. And I think it is social conditioning and possibly through osmosis. But when they're little, if we keep if we can almost amplify this belief that they have innately and keep that going, that's a really good start. Um, Another really great example that I like to use is J.K. Rowling's because most young children uh, are obsessed with the wizard Harry Potter and why shouldn't they be? But the idea behind the fact that she was asked to change her name from Joanna to J.K. because the publishing company felt that a female writer writing about a boy wizard wasn't going to sell now, that is such a great case study for us to bring up into conversations when you see your child picking up a Harry Potter wand or Harry Potter thing and, and, and remind them that this amazing, magnificent story about a boy was written by a female. Like, does that, you know, why should that be something that shouldn't be celebrated? And I think the fact that Joanna had to change her name to JK, so her female identity might be a little bit hidden or it be, might be a bit obscure on the cover of books. Um, Is that fair? you know, and see what they say. And these kinds of conversations are as a really great way of thinking about why did she have to do that? Would you change your name for something that, you know, you've worked really hard on? Would you maybe hide who you really are for something that you
0: should be actually really proud to own as yours? That's quite interesting. I always thought it was because she wanted to be like Tolkien and have (laughs) it. Yeah, yeah, and just go by
1: the the, the standard name. No, it was because the the very, very first, and they didn't print many copies, I think, they said, well, we'll go with a thousand copies. I don't think it's going to sell. But to help you, let's change your name. (laughs) And so, of course, she went on to sell millions of copies.
2: (laughs) I mean, that's a really interesting story. I didn't know that, Ah. but, you know, that's it. I'm going to ask the, the boy one day when he when he grows up and to see what he thinks about that. And um, But my next question is, um, what do you think are the benefits of teaching young children to be feminist and to understand feminism?
1: Um, well, there's so many benefits, but the main one obviously is to get young children to break the social conditioning cycles that I think we're all been privy to. I think that we can't see change until we are the change. So, you know, you want to see it be the change is kind of the truth of behind all movements. And I think for young children to understand concepts around fairness, equality, equity, and what the different, I know equity is a different, harder word, but, but understanding that they're not exactly the same thing. Um, You know, that when you're in the playground, there are still many, 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 and I can vouch for this being on playground duty as a teacher for many years, boys who feel that they own the football pitches and that soccer is only for them and the girls ruin their games. And, you know, it all starts to build up. And these these are the types of opportunities that we want to take to try and explain to them, actually, when did you start to think that it's a boys game or this should be taken by, you know, how would you feel if if girls took this away from you and said you can't come into this space because it's only for girls? Um, and, and really get them to think about that and, you know, break those scenarios around chess club or who gets to be in STEM subjects or computer subjects and why are they only taken up by so many males? Well, why aren't we getting more girls in there? And I think if we teach children that, it's not about whether you're a girl or boy, it's whether or not you're interested in it. Uh, Then suddenly you might get more uptake. But I think we we do somehow divide them um, naturally by giving, you can see it in play groups, can't you? You see the, the pink dolls on one end and you can see teachers bringing the, Girls over to that corner, the home corner, and you, you, the boys are taken out to the garden. So you know, you start to start to
0: wonder where. Why are we doing this to them? Right from when they're little, is that really what we want? Even in all the toy stores, you know, you've, it's particularly when you have children of one gender. Yeah. I feel like it, it almost became more obvious to me because it's yes. like, well, why is all of the girl stuff? pink or um about mothering or shopping or (laughs) yes yes (laughs) and all the boys stuff is much cooler yeah because it's around trucks and um a lot of things that are motorized and building and it's just yeah it's actually quite stark really even with you know some of the popular building block um you know the girls um Sets, uh, dainty uh, and pretty, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but also just easier in mm-hmm. some ways than the than the boys' sets. And it's like, well, why is that the case, you know? Yeah, um.
1: yeah. I remember feeling really excited because I think IKEA did, was the first kitchen home corner thing I'd found from my playroom from when my kids were little that was white, yes, you know, it wasn't pink. And I, I wanted my boy to know that he could also go into the home corner and not feel like weirded out by the color pink. Not that he should, I mean, I dressed him in any color he likes, but. I just knew that there was a sort of a strange stereotype associated with it, if it's pink, that he thinks it might be his sister's toy and not something he can go in and play, you know, as well. Why aren't the irons and things a bit more masculine? I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
0: Who knows? Um, so we've kind of talked about the benefits of teaching young children to be feminist. But, I mean, what are the challenges around teaching our children about feminism, perhaps even for young children. But yeah, what would you say are those challenges? So I'm gonna give
1: you more of a personal uh, take. Uh, well, not just just me personally. I think it, where the biggest challenge lies in my view is when tradition and cultural values start to impinge on your day-to-day lives and your views are tainted by what you think historically uh, and the values that have been passed down for generations. And it's very difficult for women who might genuinely have feminist views, but because they live in a large extended family and have elders with them or have their in-laws around and they're trying to balance the peace between the generation before them whilst passing on values to their offspring that they hope are going to bring change, it can be very challenging if the children don't see their parents modeling those values themselves. So... I think that is a massive challenge. I think double standards can be huge in those cultures as well, historically. I think one rule for one gender and another for another is is always very, very hard for um, us to break this stigma around boys are allowed to stay out late or they don't have to have that rule or they can be out longer than you because it's okay for a boy to be out till x time and not for you and definitely I saw that as a teenager um, in an Indian upbringing in an Indian home there's no way around it we had double standards and, and our roles were divided at home quite significantly my brother was given the lawnmower and the hoover and we were given the laundry and you know a windex or a mop or something to help with the mopping I don't know how, what the best way to do that but I think that's when the really important piece comes down to the fathers and the brothers in those families to really advocate for the women that aren't able to speak up or use their voice because they're bound by cultural difficulties. Mm-hmm.
2: Have you seen those challenges here in Singapore or among your friends here?
1: I think so I think there are still expectations around the son to ensure that his parents are looked after and that they go that, that the daughter-in-laws are expected to provide and, and and almost give up her family to make sure his family is looked after um i do think that they in singapore similar in in chinese cultures el- care for elderly is a really important part of mm-hmm. of cultural expectations and it's a great one but if those expectations if the children are then left in care of grandparents, and the grandparents' views are still very, very uh, traditional, then you're not going to move that needle the way you want to move it, perhaps, in many cases. Right. These expectations
2: and mentality, ha- they've been around for so long. So mm-hmm. would you say that it's a, a very challenging situation for, you know, the, all, the younger generations to change their cons- their mentality? it
1: can be i mean i th- you think you think i sort of refer to the eastern, middle eastern culture you know a lot mm-hmm. about that and i think about what women are doing there in terms of expectations around dress and you know double standards mm-hmm.
0: You're listening to the Honey Kids podcast, Growing Pains. I'm your host, Ange Nia. Did you know that over half a million mums and dads read Honey Kids every month? Amazing, but true. If you would like to know all the great things to do in Singapore, then you absolutely need to subscribe to our newsletter. It delivers the best of Singapore right into your inbox every week.
1: And I think... You're right. But education makes a difference, right? Access to yeah. schooling makes a big difference. Obviously, it breaks my heart to see what's happened in Afghanistan since the you know takeover of the Taliban. And, and I think when girls are not given a voice to, to even express their concerns around these challenges, that's when we have tr- problems. As long as they're given an outlet and able to read, write, go out there, learn about what's happening in different parts of the world, then... The idea is that they feel empowered enough so when they're ready to go off in the world, that they will be the change. Mm. If Even if they can't fight it in their own homes, maybe they can do it for, in other ways at their workplace or in, in a world. But if they're suppressed and not given those wings to go off and fly, then, then the
0: change is very difficult. I obviously agree with you when it comes to the fact that there's a long way to go in gender equality, particularly in, you know… A- many countries around the world. And Mm. you just mentioned Afghanistan or, you know, the easy kind of ones that come off um, the top of your head are, you know, Saudi Arabia and and places like that, which Mm. have a very skewed and tradition, not even traditional. (laughs) They just have alarming ways in which society looks on women Mm. and the way in which women have no, really no rights or freedom to choose. Mm. And society kind of says, this is how. Mm. You must behave. But some say, you know, that the the playing field is level, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, men and women, particularly in the Western world, which is probably the easiest reference, you know, oh, everyone has opportunities. Girls are going off to college and um, they're all being educated because of that. (laughs) You know, do you still feel that it's important to teach girls about feminism I know the answer to this but maybe just for those yeah for those naysayers as such who are like well what's wrong like ever you know women don't have to dress a certain way they don't have to act a certain way they have voting they you know (laughs) yeah
1: yeah I know a generation ago my mother-in-law would say this like there was no way that she could ever imagine getting help with changing a nappy with one of her children Mm. and then watching her son my husband pick up the babies and change the nappies and not bat an eyelid and let me have a cup of tea while he's gone upstairs to, you know, is revolutionary for, for a generation ago. So I think you're right. There are probably people that think, goodness me, the whole world has changed a lot and we've got to where we need to. Everyone's doing things in equal measures. But... Well, you brought up the idea of taking children or girls up to university and like get their jobs that they want. And even if they're lucky enough to get the job, because if you look around boardrooms today or you look around big, big industries where big decision makers are sitting. I know Kamala Harris is the very first female in the White House, but just, yeah. And it, we we are getting more politicians. We have lovely Jacinda Ahern and we've got wonderful leaders sort of paving the way for us. But I think a great study that Melinda Gates did recently especially as a result of the pandemic when we were all homeschooling and working from home the burden of the homeschooling and preparing the meals and having the house cleaned up still fell largely on the females and women when they have children or have make the choice to have children they are then not often given the choice to return back to work. So all of the feminist ideals that we think we've given our future leaders and and the girls that are out there suddenly aren't as fair. The playing level fields are not equal anymore. And the access to those big roles and those big promotions and those big decision-making jobs are taken away from females and given to men because the responsibility of child-rearing and homemaking and particularly during COVID, looking after sick elderly relatives fell on the females. And so not only were there many of them holding down a job of their own, working from home <laughs> amongst the chaos and taking care of homeschooling. I can see you both nodding your head. I feel like you were, you were there with me when I was always kicking I'm, off. I'm glad that's over. <laughs> yeah. Touch wood. Yeah, touch wood, touch wood. Never again. But, you know, how and why did it fall? Why did that burden fall on the females? That's a question to ask ourselves. So have we really moved on in the way we need to? Are things generally where we want them in pay gap? Are the Hollywood actresses making the same amount for every hour that they spend on those screens? I don't know. The answer's out there for us to look up, isn't it?
2: I mean, my husband actually raised a point the other day that women are actually getting paid more. In Hollywood? No, no. Just like in general. Because companies are so afraid of... Oh, gender pay gap issues being highlighted. So now that they, you know, anything that companies decide to do, they have to put, they they have to keep in mind that, you know, people will get upset if they are not, if they...
1: (laughs) I think this whole idea around fear is what stops people though, isn't it? Yeah. I think what you just hit on was exactly my answer to that question is what are the biggest challenges and what do we still need to do I think we have to get over our fear so we a bit like the me too movement you know I'm not saying it was not brilliant to have it it was obviously the right thing to have happened but then the pendulum swings so far the other way that if you're going out for lunch uh, with a male colleague and there's a female colleague sitting in your office you don't ask because you're too scared that you might be seen as this horrible man that's t- making advances on a, I mean it not I know that's an extreme example but it was sort of started to feel like that, that you couldn't say or do anything. And I think if your husband has raised that, I'd love to know. I mean, it's brilliant that it's happening. I don't, I haven't heard that in many places, particularly for women of minority cultures, bisexual, gay women. I think all of these differences start to add up. And so that can be very challenging.
0: Yeah. I think there's a tiny number of companies that are starting to put in quotas when it comes to, you know, partnership, trying to at least put forward 50% women and 50% men or having a a, a very close look at the salaries and the split when it comes to male and female. Mm. And, you know, I think, and some political parties are starting to put in the same kind of quotas, we must be represented you know, at least 40% Mm. by women in our ranks because that best represents society. And hopefully they're also doing the same from a diversity perspective Mm. in relation to, you know, making sure that the whole community is represented, not just male and female, but Mm. the community as in the culture and the background of everyone. But yeah, I mean, I think that has been the thing that I find the most stark as we get older is Mm. you put on the television and there's, you know, there's world leaders Mm. or there is a a group of politicians talking Mm. about any kind of issue, sometimes female issues. And I don't see myself Mm. represented there or a lot of my friends represented Mm. there equally. I see a lot of men and a lot of men that look very similar. And, you know, I obviously have been born with the privilege of being a, white woman, so Mm. I'm not in any way saying that, you know, like I've been born with a privilege that I'm very aware of. Mm. And at the same time it's very easy for me to see that the inequality is is everywhere.
1: Right. From that
0: from a representation perspective.
1: Sure. And so for women of minority cultures or colored people, I think that becomes that pang, that empty void that they see with lack of representation becomes greater. And you have to work Harder to to fill those gaps, I think, Um, and
0: that's why it's been wonderful to see even just the entertainment industry start mm -hmm. to tackle this. You know, Mm -hmm. Netflix has brought out so many more diverse shows for um, women of color, for um, you know, for the trans community, for a lot of different communities that have never, you know, that have have never been able to see themselves on the screen as a male lead or a female lead or anything other than kind of a sidekick in a... Brilliant. Yeah, Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think the media world has changed a lot, and even not just Netflix, but
1: print. You know, watching the evolution of Vogue in Britain has been absolutely i can't praise edward innerfill enough for what he's brought to that huge uh port you know that platform he's just transformed that place and i think picking up a magazine from in, in when i was a kid was definitely i don't think seeing women of different shapes sizes colors be, rep, what beauty represented as a young person for me was very different and then being indian in canada you constantly didn't Think that having dark hair was okay. You know, you always wanted to be blonde like your friends, and it, so I think having that conversation shift has been great. So if we in, in, if we look over the generation, I think you're right, change is coming. But has are we there yet? Probably mm. not.
0: And then where is Singapore in all of this? Good question.
1: Yeah, very good question. Um, I haven't been in Singapore as long as you both have, so you
0: you might Wait, how be. How many able... years have you been here? This is my third. Same. Okay, so we're about the same. Okay. (laughs) I'm the old hand at eight years.
1: So you probably have a good insight into this. Where is Singapore in this? And where do we feel? I maybe come from a part of India that is different to some of the Indians in Singapore. And I have been asked multiple times if I'm half Indian, um, because maybe I'm not as dark skinned as some of the other Indians that they're (laughs) used to. And I might say, actually, no, I'm I'm a full Indian, you know, and they don't believe me. So I think that's an interesting question to ask. Where does that come from? Is that just because of exposure to one part of India? Or are they giving me a compliment? Am I supposed to take this? (laughs) You know, I'm not sure what this comment comes from, where it comes from. But where is this notion or these preconceived ideas, where have they stemmed from? That's a question I have. I've never been asked if I'm half Indian ever else anywhere else. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's, yeah, it's that's... (laughs) I, I don't have a response for you, <laughs> Ramita. I do think it's great to see that there has been more conversations in the community in Singapore around race, particularly in the last couple of years and and also around, I think, feminism. But I you know, I mean, we all know that there's a long way to go. There's some definite advantages in Singapore for girls in some ways. You know, they don't do reservists. So there is the argument that they you know, there is an argument out there that well, women get a two year head start on their male, you know, schoolmates because instead of having to do reservists, they can start their careers straight away and they don't have those two years sure yeah that's that's definitely a point but what about women that
1: want to do it what if the well, nationalistic exactly women that, right. there that want
0: to go in join and, and be part the, of that the main question that I have exactly
1: yeah so I don't know if, if Singapore is where we want it to be in terms of complete gender equality yet either but from what I've noticed and um certainly around uh you know, obviously in China it's different because it's just, we, there was a one-child policy and obviously we wanted it to be a boy. And I think all of that was a big, maybe culturally a big thing that spills over maybe a little bit into Singapore as well. I don't know what your views on that is. But I think there is definitely a slight different angle um, in the Asian world.
0: Mm. Um, before we wrap up, mm. is there anything else that you'd kind of like to add that we haven't covered around this, you know, how to raise feminists around the the topic of feminism and and how we discuss with our children or raise our children in a way to be the best feminist they can be.
1: Yeah, I think don't be afraid of the conversation. I think breaking that worry and that fear around what it means to be a feminist, I think if we can just get away from that terrible scary word that everyone thinks is is what feminism is. Um that's a really big start. I think even just talking about it openly with your partner, with your you know, if you're if you're in a heterosexual relationship, then I think really doing all the role modeling, you know, having the male in the home help make the beds or change the bed sheets or whatever historically was seen as a very female role is a very good thing i want my my daughter to know that she can grow up and marry or be with people that split things equally so making sure that they understand that really is important um and yeah, let's, the more, honestly, it becomes so much easier when you start thinking about everything in their terms and looking at life through their lens. If we can do that and break that ice with them, I think we're going to make the difference that we want to see.
2: Wow, that's, really, that's so good. I honestly feel like I've learned so much today. Um, <laughs> um, before we end this um, episode, we have three questions we would like to ask you. The first one is, what is your worst
1: parenting moment that you can remember? <laughs> well, there are many <laughs> that I can remember. Um, I think there's a couple of standout ones. I I might. I I think I'll pick one that I, I did so inadvertently and so innocently. Well, no, it was terrible. It was, if I if I own up to it, it was a, a total mistake on my end. But I observed some behavior of of another girl in my daughter's class who my daughter was she was three at the time in nursery and I could see my daughter becoming quite friendly with her and I was a little nervous about this friendliness because I maybe didn't like some of the behaviors of this other child and vocalized my discern openly in a conversation with my husband of course, my little daughter's ears were like perked up, loud as anything. And oh. she went into school the next day. And when this little girl tried to sit next to her, she says, well, my mummy says, I can't play with you. You're too bossy. <laughs> <laughs> Just, And I thought, oh, my word. And I, I didn't know it. She did that. And then I was cornered in the playground school gates by the mother of that daughter <laughs> and asked why I'd stopped my daughter from playing with her daughter. And my her daughter was very sad by this. I wish earth could just open up and swallow me whole because I was mortified that um, what I had said. So yeah, really, 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 really stupid error on my part and not realizing that I'm um, having these conversations and voicing them, maybe thinking twice about that next time.
0: We've all had those that moment of clarity that our children can actually understand what we're saying <laughs> and you realize, oh gosh, I can't swear in the car, I yeah. can't do those things that when they're a little baby, you can get away with and kind of forget about. Yeah. And yeah. So that's a wonderful <laughs> worst parenting moment, Ramita. <laughs> it's terrible. So it's let's terrible. flip the switch on that. And what is the best parenting moment that you remember? Mm, I lo- this is, these are great questions. I think... Um- if I asked my children
1: today, I, I did say this to you earlier, that they would find it very hard and they would giggle. And they did. I actually did ask them over dinner the other day and, and they did. Of course, they burst into laughter. Um, but one of the things that my daughter did say to me, which I thought is a really great, um, despite not feeling it all the time, she said to me she's never afraid to tell me anything because she's not because of being scared. There are many things she doesn't tell me, but not because she's fearful of the outcome of what I might say. So whether that be a bad test result or just something that's happened at school or some kids at school got into the alcohol cupboard and started having alcohol. She shares quite a lot with me. Um, and equally, we we were both saying that what's really nice is it's not just her, but her friends come around and they, they're very comfortable being in the back of the car or being in our kitchen table sharing these stories and i think for whatever it's worth somehow we've managed to create a safe space for them and maybe that is the best thing i could do for my children is making sure that they feel safe
0: i think that that's actually amazing that's all i aspire to <laughs> with my boys is that yeah i always say to them you're never in trouble yeah. just tell me what's going on and i'll help you yeah and because I think that's all we want to do, you know. We we want them to feel that if they've had their worst day mm. and they've made mistakes, maybe even poor choices, you know, that mm. they regret, that they feel comfortable enough and have a strong enough bond with their parents to talk to us about it instead yeah. of trying to navigate on yeah. their own and making more mistakes in the, you know. Yeah, space. and
1: I don't know if that stems from the fact that if I ever had a bad test result, I was quite scared to tell my parents. Mm. Uh, you know, those expectations were high on, on us as, as, as a family. So I think maybe I've gone the other way. And, and she said to me, you know, whenever I've done really badly on it, and she often feels worse than I do, you know, and she'll say that she, that's what she said. She said, it always surprises me that you never get upset because I'm so upset with my mark. And I think that's enough. If she's feeling that and, and she knows that she can be better or that isn't how she showed up as, a, as her best self that day, what can she do to improve that? So yeah, I think, I think that would be the thing I'm most proud of as a parent.
2: Um, and the last question we have for you is what is the thing you wish you knew before you became a parent
1: Mm, love this question I I think for me definitely it's letting go of the idea of parenting a child that you've somehow created in your mind that you're going to raise as opposed to raising the child in front of you so, not parenting out of fear of what other people think about you and that child, but parenting out of love and making sure that love is unconditional. I have to say that's taken me a long time to learn um I've made lots of mistakes along the way and made i think comparisonitis and expectations and societal um sort of osmosis in my own mind has made me think had me thinking even before I had my kids what it was going to look like and what the image of what it was going to be like and what kind of days am I would and and I don't think anything can prepare you for the amount of emotions that go through a daily on your daily basis as being a parent but if I remind myself each day that you did your best and actually you love them and you love them unconditionally then then you're doing the best you can and I think that's all you can hope for really.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that's such a wonderful way to end uh, the Mm. conversation today. Um, Ramita, thank you so much for joining us. It's been truly wonderful to talk about a topic that I hold very dear and I'm very passionate about, which is feminism and also just obviously discussing more around, yeah, how we can start those conversations with our children and how we can best support them. Anything, oh, uh, where can our... um, Readers and listeners find you. Yeah, I mean, if you'd ever be interested in elevating your daughters, um, particularly
1: around feeling uh, like their best selves, I think the course that I've designed is available um, anywhere really, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, you can find me on the internet at www.elevate-ra.com, um, and I'm on all socials uh, with at elevate where there's lots of tips and. Uh, I share lots of things in my blog on ways that we can make sure our daughters feel empowered
0: wonderful, thanks. We'll make sure that's all in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity. It's been brilliant. Thank you to Ramita for joining us for that discussion on raising feminists. If you're after more advice, Ramita has also written a fab article for us on how to raise empowered girls. You can check it out on our site at honeykidsasia.com and we've also got some great discussions on tackling stereotypes in order to raise kick-ass girls, such as speaking to the team at SCC Rugby Academy about why rugby is just as much for the girls as it is for the boys. And as someone who played rugby, not very well, but did play at university, I can concur with that. You can also head to our Facebook group, Growing Pain Singapore, to continue the discussion. See you next time.